This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Mr. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. If you're not a lawyer or you haven't gone to court during the pandemic, your image of online court might be this viral video. Can you hear me, Judge? Where that lawyer in Texas got a cat filter stuck on his face. I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. That's not, I'm not a cat. The whole thing was funny and quotable and made for a great the way we live now moment. But most online court proceedings, especially civil court proceedings, where people try to do things like fight eviction or figure out child support, are both more prosaic and more important. It's the difference between, you know, whether or not you're going to lose your home, whether or not your wages are going to be garnished, um, how much child support you're going to have to provide. That's lawyer Katsia Naki. She's been studying how civil courts moved online during the pandemic. These are these are really critical human financial issues that can affect health, that can affect finances, that can affect family. And it's really key that the system meets the needs of those people. What Katsia and her colleagues at the Pew Foundation found was a system transformed. For instance, being able to sign into Zoom instead of schlepping to a courthouse helped a lot more people make their court dates. But at the same time, not everyone can just log on. Today on the show, what happened when a system that hadn't changed much since the 1700s went online almost overnight, and why there may be no going back? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. Ah. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The civil legal system is huge, much bigger than you might realize. A couple of years ago, Pew, where Katsia works, did a poll and found that 47% of households had dealt with a civil legal issue over the past 12 months. That means things like debt collection, child support, and eviction. I asked Katsia to walk me through how a typical eviction case worked before the pandemic. Most court cases, and let's speak specifically here about civil court cases like evictions, as you mentioned, happened largely in person. So the idea of going to a courthouse, filing paperwork with a clerk's office, and then showing up for your hearing in person in a room where there's a judge at a bench and two lawyers on either side. A lot of the processes were playing out in person, sort of much as they did, you know, over the last centuries. Um, Courtrooms and court processes haven't changed all that much over time. You know, I think even the most, like, casual law and order viewer knows that in a criminal case, you have the right to an attorney. But in civil cases, that that is not so, correct? That's right. In three in four civil cases, there's at least one party who isn't represented. And in eviction cases, 90% of tenants are unrepresented. We found something very similar in debt collection cases. In states where data was available, more than 90% of consumers in debt collection lawsuits were unrepresented. You know, in reading this report, I was struck by how Byzantine that the civil system can be. How much of this is back and forth and filing something and trying to figure out what you're supposed to do, especially if you're not represented by a lawyer? A good deal. So there's, I mean, some of the basic steps in a court case involve, you know, one party filing a lawsuit against another party, another, the 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 sort of party that's being sued, being served with notice that there's a case filed against them. If you're submitting written testimony, that needs to be stamped by an official notary and signed to prove the veracity of the information in the document. There's a lot of steps that happen even before a a hearing in a case can can happen in a courtroom. So in the states where we have data, 70% of debt collection lawsuits end in what's called a default judgment automatic judgment in favor of the plaintiff because the defendant didn't respond or didn't show up for their hearing. So that's an example of where one of these multitude of steps involving lots of paperwork kind of falls through for people who, who don't have lawyers. Prior to March 2020, 
what's the burden on you if you're the tenant in this scenario? If you're the tenant, so the landlord will file, you know, an eviction case and make, you know, certain claims as to why you should be evicted, whether that's for non-payment of rent or physical damage to the property or whatever it may be. And the tenant is responsible for for disproving that. Hmm. It just seems like it seems like a lot of work. Yeah. And given the the sort of complexity of the process, it can be really challenging, especially if the other side has a lawyer. And then suddenly, March of 2020 happened. All those tedious in-person steps had to become electronic. Once March 2020 came around, it was it was unbelievable to see courts bring their processes online almost overnight. Uh, so we looked at Supreme Court emergency orders between March 2020 and August 2020, and all 50 states and D.C. we found uh, either allowed or required virtual hearings when prior to the pandemic, none of them were doing that or very few were, were doing that on a regular basis. Why do you think it, it took a pandemic for the courts to get this kind of technological infrastructure in place? Uh, I always I always think of a, a quote from Chief Justice Bridget McCormick from Michigan. Um, I think she said it best when she said it wasn't the disruption that courts wanted, but it was the disruption that courts needed. So there was just a lot of resistance to rethinking what have been centuries old traditions. And this was just the catalyst that being forced to move their operations online that really shifted the need and moved the needle. Yeah, the the Michigan Chief Justice uh, Bridget McCormick also said that going online kind of made courts more transparent, more accessible and more convenient. Do do you think that's accurate based on the sort of breadth of things that you all looked at? I think that technology has a lot of potential for those things. For example, in Arizona, we found that in civil cases, there was an 8% drop in the rate of default between 2019 and 2020. So that that means that more people were responding to their case or and or showing up for their hearings. The ability to not have to travel to court, to not have to take off time from work, to be able to just join your case using a video teleconference platform uh, really did benefit uh, people and made the process a bit easier to manage, but um, it definitely still presented some challenges for for, uh, certain groups of people. When we come back, online courts meet the digital divide. Hey everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. One constant in the pandemic has been that the right technology can make life a lot easier. But without it, 
you can fall further and further behind. Despite a nationwide eviction moratorium, parts of eviction cases moved through the court system anyway. And Katsia's team heard about a lot of people hobbled by bad tech or lack of access. For instance, we we heard stories of people who were evicted from their homes because they never received the Zoom link. And we spoke to one woman who had filed a motion to dismiss in her eviction case. She was trying to prove that she should not, the case should be dismissed and that she shouldn't be evicted. And when it came time for the hearing, she couldn't access the share button on the on the video teleconference platform. And therefore, she was unable to share with the judge the evidence she had to, to prove her motion. And then she was ultimately evicted. This seems like yet another manifestation laid bare by the pandemic of how the technological divide can really hurt people. Yeah, and we we found similar trends thinking about child support modifications as well. In nine states, people without lawyers couldn't file electronically in in eviction cases. And in 10 states, parents and guardians could not submit child support modification requests electronically. And um, oftentimes in states where courts handle those those modifications, you need to have a a change in circumstances in order to, to make that request to change your child support obligation. And of course, during the pandemic, we saw so many people losing their jobs. 9.6 million people lost their jobs in the U.S. in 2020, um, and a million people were evicted. So people's circumstances were really changing. And if you're not able to file that request, the consequences for that are potential incarceration. Katsia's team also found that a lot of online tools weren't accessible to people with disabilities or with limited English. We reviewed over 10,000 court orders from around the country that were collected by researchers from Wesleyan University. And we found that less than 3% of these documents mentioned resources or accommodations for people with limited English proficiency. And less than 1.5% of these documents mentioned accessibility or accommodations for people with disabilities. So what that means is if you're a person um, with either of these characteristics, and you're looking for information about how to access a court process that you need to to address a, a really critical issue in your life, you, you may not find it. I'm I'm really struck by those numbers um, because under the Americans with Disabilities Act, courts should have to provide accommodation for for certainly for people with disabilities. How did that shake out in the in kind of what you saw? Yeah, and it's interesting you should mention the ADA and the and the state court civil courts also have similar obligations for language access under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. Um, so according to the National Center for Access to Justice, um, which publishes this justice index uh, that rates states from zero to 100 based on their policies related to access for people with disabilities and language access. Um, Even prior to the pandemic, courts were really struggling with these issues. So 44 states scored less than 50 on the index for disability access and 31 states scored less than 50 for language access. So this was a challenge even, even before the pandemic. And I think they're ramp up of technology was really quite heroic during the pandemic. They really kept their operations moving at a time when people really needed them um, to resolve some really pressing financial family related issues. Um, but there's there's a lot of lessons that that need to be learned from this experience. Because a lot of these proceedings to, to comply with court rules have to be public. A lot of them are, are streamed online, right? They're on YouTube or they're on a, a, a court's page. 
And it, it makes me wonder about having your eviction proceedings or your your child support case, something that is difficult and and and, you know, very emotional streamed live. Somehow that feels, I guess, more invasive than just somebody could walk down to the courthouse and sit in the back row. Do you think any of these technological changes, like, do they do they raise privacy questions? That's a great question. We didn't reach that in our report specifically, but um, that is something that courts are thinking about. Uh, the guiding principles that the Conference of Chief Justices and the Conference of State Court Administrators developed addresses the question of uh, courts should consider, you know, what proceedings need to be private versus public. Um, so that is something that courts are are wrestling with right now. What do you think is going to stay with us as, you know, part of the legal system permanently as a result of of what has happened during the pandemic? Courts are pretty committed that that online tools are going to be a permanent fixture of courts. So a lot of states are, are in the process of looking at what happened during the pandemic and deciding what good features should stay on and what features might be better conducted in the traditional format. Data, evidence, evaluation, testing are going to be key components to to making those decisions. Katia Naki, thank you very much. Thanks, Lizzie. Katia Naki is an officer at the Pew Charitable Trust. And that is it for the show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch and Allison Benedict. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and it's also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. I want to recommend you take a moment and listen to Thursday's episode of What Next. Mary Harris talked with the Michigan State Senator whose district includes Oxford High School, the site of the recent tragic school shooting. It's a tough but important listen. What Next? We'll be back next week. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.